please turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 63. Back when the tornado hit our town several weeks ago, I attended a funeral that week in Pratt City, and there were four caskets sitting up front. Uh, This is the funeral bulletin with the picture and the testimony of each of the four ladies uh, in it. And uh, one of those ladies, a very young lady in her early 20s, I think. So suddenly, so unexpectedly, uh, death came. Charles Spurgeon, a great Baptist preacher around the turn of the century, and a sermon uh, talks about why death would be the last enemy to be destroyed. Why not the first? And uh, he says that God leaves death around for purpose. He says, death is of great service before he is destroyed. Oh, what lessons some of us have learned from death. Our dying friends come over us like a cloud to damp our brainless order, ardors, to make us feel that these poor fleeting toys are not worth living for. There are perhaps no sermons like the deaths which have happened in our households. So Christ has spared death to make him a preacher, to remind us of the great issues of life. Life's not a game. Life is extremely important, extremely serious. There are great issues. Franklin Graham grew up in a Christian home, certainly. Billy Graham's son. Today, uh, at the early service, we had our Seniors who are graduating from Briarwood Christian School. It was their baccalaureate. They were here with us. And many other seniors would be with us even now uh, from other schools. The danger of growing up in a Christian home and being in church and going to even a Christian school, the danger is you you hear about Christ and uh, about death and about heaven and about hell and it gets to be commonplace, and you sort of just assume a lot of things. Franklin Graham tells in his book, Living Beyond the Limits, uh, that he didn't make a decision for Christ uh, growing up. He wanted to live his life his way, and he thought of all the fun he wanted to have, and he found out as he went along it really was pretty meaningless and pretty empty, and He says, my teen years dissolved into my early 20s, and I began meeting people who lived exhilarating lives, but curiously without the shallowness that plagued my own. These people were full of life. Their eyes sparkled with the energy that flowed through them. As I probed the reason for their peace and zest for life, I discovered they all had a common thread. They had made decisions to bring Jesus Christ into their lives. And... uh, He said, the time I spent with these folks made me want what they had. Still, the thought of giving up control of my life went against my green. 
like a teenager having to turn his car keys over to his dad. But one night, after years of searching, I came to the conclusion uh, that I was on the road whose end was destruction. I finally asked God to forgive me for my sins and rebellion. I asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. That very night, he gave me total peace. Immediately, my life began to change. I was reading about a fellow who took his mule, or had the veterinarian come to his farm to look at his mule. It's a very good mule. He needed him, and the mule was sick. And the veterinarian examined the mule and said, well, he's got thus and such, and he needs this pill. Give him a big pill, and he said, he needs three times a day you'd give him this pill. And, and the farmer said, well, that's a big pill. How am I going to get him to swallow it? And he said, well, take a tube, a pipe, and put, get one that's big enough for this pill to fit in, and put it in the mule's mouth, and then blow real hard, and he'll swallow it before he realizes it is in his mouth. About an hour later, this farmer appears in the veterinarian's office looking very sick. The veterinarian said, you look awful. What happened? He said, well, I did everything you said, but the mule blew first. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you might think of that pill as as death, and uh, the mule is Satan. And... uh, If he blows before you receive Christ, that's terrible. You get very, very sick. Uh, Talks about Satan having the power of death. Now, God's in ultimate control, and Satan can't touch anyone without God's permission. But still, it talks in terms of Satan having the power of death. Life is serious. We must act at an appropriate time. We mustn't delay. We mustn't play games. If you were to picture God taking vengeance on his enemies, which is what this chapter deals with here, Isaiah 63, how would you picture it? Would you picture it as Jonathan Edwards did, uh, in his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, where he has got sinners hanging over a hill just by uh, uh, just a spider's web, and that at any moment they could drop into hell. That sermon started the Great Awakening in our country, great revival that swept the country. Would you uh, picture it as angels descending in fire with the face of God uh, and something like an atomic explosion as men faced him. How would you picture it? Well, we have God giving us a picture in this 63rd chapter. But the background in the 60th chapter, you had uh, God saying that the day was going to come when he was going to exalt his church, his people, Zion, his true people. And uh, Chapter 60, verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Verse 3, Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Here nations are going to flood in to be part of God's Zion. That's chapter 60, 61, 
talks about the person who will come and start this incredible spread of God's kingdom. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach glad tidings to the poor, to set the captives at liberty, to open the eyes of the blind, to heal the brokenhearted. He is the anointed one, the Messiah, who will come and do this. And uh, in this 63rd chapter, uh, though, we have the destruction of those who don't respond, the destruction of his enemies. And uh, he... Isaiah sees a figure in a vision, in a sense, walking toward him. And uh, he asked a question, who is this coming? In verse 16, chapter 6, 3, verse 1, who is this coming from Edom, from Basra, with his garment stained crimson? Who is this robed in splendor, striding forward in the greatness of his strength? And notice here the description of this one who's coming. He comes from Basra. That's the capital of Edom. Edom, you had the Edomites who descended from Esau, Jacob and Esau. Uh, and uh, you had uh, the Edomites were traditional enemies down through history of the Israelites, of Jacob's descendants. And uh, so they represent here the enemies of God's people, the enemies of God. Uh, and so here this one comes from that direction. But his garments are dyed. And uh, we find out that it's the Messiah. It's, it's this one that the Spirit of the Lord is upon uh, that's coming this way. And notice uh, he says here <clears throat> that... Uh, He's wearing garments robed in, uh, that are stained crimson. They're stained with the blood of his enemies. Uh, his victory over his enemies is he's trampled on them. Uh, these would be spiritual enemies, not just Edom, but Edom represents the spiritual enemies of God and of God's people. Another picture of a son of God, uh, in warfare and conquering his enemies is given to us in Revelation 19 where he rides on a white horse and his army behind him. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Here's a similar type picture of the Son of God making war against his enemies. Now, uh, he's followed here by an army of those who are 
clad in white linen. And that would be all those who have come to him, uh, have surrendered their will to him in faith, placed their trust in him. And now they are cleansed, they're forgiven, they're clothed in white linen. Their filthy rags representing their sin and their guilt has been removed. And they follow him. Now, uh, notice the impression this person gives here in Isaiah 63. He says in verse 1, Who is this robed in splendor striding forward in the greatness of his strength? Man, the greatness of his strength. The mighty warrior uh, who conquers his enemy, who's not fatigued by the battle. And now we get the traveler's answer and representation of himself. It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. It is I, says the traveler. Uh, He speaks in righteousness. He will make good every word that he says. He's the mighty Savior, mighty to save. Uh, Not only mighty to destroy his enemies, but mighty to save all who come to him as he, on their behalf, conquers death. Conquers hell, conquers Satan for them. And uh, he's mighty to bring them to repentance. Spurgeon in a sermon says, uh, when he says he's mighty to save, he's not just mighty to save those who repent and believe. He's mighty to bring men to repentance. Uh, He says, knowing how much men naturally hate the religion of Christ, I should despair of any success in preaching a gospel depending upon the voluntary acceptance of it by unrenewed men. If I did not believe that there was a might going forth with the word of Jesus, which makes men willing in the day of his power, I should cease to glory in the cross of Christ. Why did Franklin Graham give up his rebellion? Because Christ is mighty to save, and he overcomes that rebellion, and he causes the light to shine. He convicts, he converts, he draws men to himself, irresistibly. Now, there's the first question. Who is this? And his answer, it is I. It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. And the second question, why are your garments red, like those of one treading the wine press? Notice the comparison. Uh, Someone who's been out... And he's got all these grapes and they put them in the wine press and then he gets in and tramples on them. And as he does, why, uh, the juice squirts up on his garments and his garments become red. He said, you look like one who's been treading the wine press. Why are your garments so red? And the answer, he says, I have trodden the wine press alone from the nations. No one was with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Their blood spattered my garments, and I stained all my clothing, for the day of vengeance was in my heart. Huh. Goodness gracious. He's been executing God's wrath on his enemies. They were the grapes. That's where the blood comes from that stains his garments. What a striking picture. We read in Revelation 19 about this one on the horse whose garments were stained with blood. And he said, I've been treading the winepress of the wrath of God. Uh, 
Who was with him? He says, I've trodden, I've trodden the winepress alone from the nations. No one was with me. Well, uh, when Christ really went into battle, no one could be with him. Uh, even the disciples had fled. Now, when did this trampling take place? Well, there's an interesting movement backward and forward historically, in a sense. Over the years, down through history, he had trampled the enemies of Israel. He trampled the Edomites. He trampled Egypt. He trampled Babylon in time when he delivered them from captivity there, and so on. Over the years, he would trample their enemies. Uh, but really, he trampled their enemies when he went to the cross. Uh, when Satan put it into the heart of Judas to betray him and, and works all things so that the Son of God is to be crucified. But ultimately, Christ conquered. And that was the plan of God, that his Son would come into this world and uh, would be the Lamb. Uh, we sang earlier that great hymn, What wondrous love is this? What wondrous love is this, O my soul, O my soul? What wondrous love is this, O my soul, that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul, for my soul? When I was sinking down, sinking down, when I was sinking down, sinking down, beneath God's righteous frown, Christ laid aside his crown for my soul. That was the plan, that God the Son would lay aside his crown, become man, live under the law, keep it perfectly, voluntarily assume our guilt, and be punished on our behalf. And then God would forgive all who placed their their faith in him, all who surrendered their will to his Son. God would forgive them, clothe them in white garments, give them his Spirit, that God would bring them to faith through his Spirit. And change their lives here. So they live differently, like Franklin Graham is living differently. Uh, so Christ won a mighty victory there on the cross. No one could enter into that battle with him. He had to do that alone. There was none other good enough to pay the price of sin. He alone could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. And through death... For us, he destroyed him who has the power of death, Satan, says Hebrews 2, and delivered them uh, who through fear of death all their lifetime was subject to bondage. Now, Satan is not annihilated. Satan is conquered. It's like D-Day and V-Day. D-Day took place when Christ went to the cross and then rose from the dead. With a, we sing about, up from the grave he arose with a mighty victory over his force. That was D-Day. V-Day will be when he comes back and you have the final putting down of Satan and uh, the casting of him into the lake of fire and so on. That'll be V-Day. Now, in the interim, though, we enter into this victory that Christ has won. Uh, Notice why he was treading these. It says it was the day of vengeance. The day of vengeance was in his heart. That's God's just determination to punish sin. Francis Schaeffer, in his book on Genesis in Time and Space, says, 
God's judgment falls against sin, for God is holy and there are moral absolutes, and this is a moral universe. If God didn't deal with sin, it would not be. There would not be a moral universe. He would not be a holy God, but he is a holy God. Leon Morris, in his book, The Apostolic Preaching of the Cross, how did the apostles preach the cross? How did they present this thing? He talks about the wrath of God. And 20 different words used to describe the wrath of God used 580 times in the New Testament to describe this. It's no capricious, capricious passion but the stern reaction of divine nature to evil in man, says Leon Marx. Now, what a, what a dramatic picture here of the wrath of God as Jesus is pictured trampling in fury upon his enemies. That's important. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to be wise, the first thing to understand is you don't play games with God. And we're in real trouble before a holy God. That's the starting place to getting right. Now, uh, but while that side of it is true, the other side of it, his love, and that song was about God's love. What wondrous love is this? When I was sinking down beneath God's righteous frown... Christ laid aside his crown for my soul. God in love provided the answer to this thing. Look at verse uh, 7 here in 63. I will tell of the kindnesses of the Lord, the deeds for which he's to be praised according to all the Lord has done for us. Yes, the many good things he's done for the house of Israel according to his compassion and many kindnesses. He said, surely they, they are my people, sons who will not be false to me. And so he became their savior. In all their distress, he too was distressed. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. Here's the God of love. God is holy and God is loving. And we mustn't set those over against each other. Both are true and hold them in balance. That's crucial to understand this. And to understand why Christ came and why he had to die. And uh, notice in uh, verse uh, uh, <clears throat> 4 when it says, The day of vengeance was in my heart. That's one side of it. But then it says, And the year of my redemption has come. Redemption. Where he redeems us. He sets us free upon payment of a price. He paid the price to set us free. Now, the third question. You see the first question. Who is this coming with his garments dyed red? Second question. Why are your garments red? Third question. Where are you in the picture? Where are you in the picture? There are only two places you and I can be. We either those grapes that he's going to tread upon or we're clothed in white. We're riding on horses behind him. We're in one of those two places. We want his blood on us. We don't want our blood on him. Uh, have you surrendered your will? Have you placed your trust in Christ? Let me read you a letter. Here's a letter from a young lady who 
uh, wrote me just recently in our church. She said, Brownwood Church has meant so much to me as it has truly encouraged my growth and my relationship with Christ. Through attending Brownwood High School, I have been privileged to be influenced by many godly teachers who established a foundation for me based on the truth of God's Word. The church's ministries, such as Stampede and Campus Outreach, in which I am actively involved at Sanford, have taught me much more of the Christian life, of loving God and obedience and faith. In particular, this past year has been a major stepping stone. I had the opportunity to attend Beach Project last summer, where God, through a period of breaking me, brought me to the point of really allowing me to see the gracious gift of salvation. It broke me from a lot of self-effort and showed me that through his death, I am truly declared righteous. This freedom from chains I had put on myself has been amazing as God continues to show me more of himself and the truth of his word. He also gave me a desire to want to share my faith and discipleship others and for discipleship. And notice here, here's a young lady who grew up in a Christian home, who's been in a Christian school, who's been in a church, and yet she didn't understand until just recently that salvation is a gift, that you don't earn it and you don't deserve it. Uh, she was in danger all along here, uh, that pill in the tube. We need to act, act in a timely fashion. God has to open our eyes to it. She was certainly exposed. God has to open our eyes. Uh, but we walk in the light. As he gives light, walk in the light, respond to light. And she's doing it uh, now. Uh, but think of where she was in the picture until just recently. And she says uh, she had a leg injury and it kept her from running, uh, which was her sport. And she says, uh, through the extra time and focus I gained, God used it to allow me to develop relationships with many girls this year. In particular, I saw God bring three girls to himself through these relationships. And I've been discipling two of them. Uh, wow, great issues in life. Now she's been getting everything in focus. And uh, she's seeing the great issues. This is so crucial for all of us that we would understand uh, life is, is so important. It's so crucial that we make the right decisions and that we follow and that we have our values right, our priorities right. That we live for him every day and we reach out and we seek to impact others for him. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though no one join me, yet still I'll follow. No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. Great issue of life. Let us pray. Where are you in the picture? Are you clothed in white garments with Christ? Or are you in danger of your blood being upon his garments? Don't delay. Act in a timely fashion. If you know what you should do, if you've had that insight, do it now. And then, having done it, let's reach out to others. And let's enthrone him in every area of our lives as he shows us how. Relying on him following him. If you've never 
really placed your trust in Him alone to forgive you. And you want to do that today. You want to surrender to Him and put your trust in Him. Pray in your heart like this. Lord Jesus, too long I've been grapes ready to be trod upon. Lord, I want to be clothed in white. Right now I come to you. I surrender to you. I trust in you. Thank you for your love and for your death and resurrection. Come into my life. Amen.